Brian told me I only had like two seconds left, so I, I ran up. Well, friends, I love it when a plan works. When a group of people come together around a shared vision, a shared goal, and then they develop a strategy of how to make that goal, that vision, a reality. And so maybe, maybe you've been like me. Maybe, maybe you've seen someone do something. You've, you've seen a plan come together, and... You thought, man, how did that, how did that start? Who's, whose idea was that? How in the world did somebody come up with that idea? Well, we have been looking at different stories of people meeting Jesus and their lives being transformed. And today's encounter with Jesus begins with a plan. So I want you to imagine this scene with me. Imagine five people are sitting around a fire. The sun has already gone down, and these five people are sitting around the fire. Although, one of them is not sitting. He's laying on the ground because he is paralyzed. We'll call him Caleb. And so Caleb and his four friends are sitting around talking about the news that Jesus of Nazareth is in the area, that he was close to their town of Capernaum. And so as they're sitting there talking, one of them says, do you think he's going to come to our town? Another says, oh, absolutely. I mean, this is where Simon Peter lives. This is, this is where the Zebedees live. Of course, he's going to come. He's going to visit his friends. So then someone says quietly, is this our chance? Everyone stares at the fire quietly. And then someone says, if Jesus comes, this is our chance. Caleb continues to stare at the fire. You see, as long as Caleb can remember, he has been paralyzed. Lots of people have tried to help through the years. Doctors and, and priests and others, but every time he is left disappointed because he's still paralyzed. Caleb is fighting against hope. You see, he's heard the stories of how Jesus of Nazareth has healed other people, but he doesn't want to get his hopes up again, only to be disappointed. And then someone says, if we can just get Caleb to Jesus, I believe that Jesus can heal him. But then someone else says, yeah, but how are we even going to know what part of town Jesus is in? And besides, it takes us so long to carry Caleb across town. By the time we get there, there's already going to be a crowd. Or what if Jesus is in a house? There's no way we could get him in front of Jesus. And then one person stands up and says, are you willing to do whatever it takes to help Caleb see Jesus? Well, Caleb's been, he's been silent up to this point, but then he says, 
guys, I, I appreciate your friendship, and I, I know that you want to help me, but you guys don't have to do this. You don't have to carry me across town. I know that it's a long shot. But then that same friend says, no, Caleb, you are worth it. We will do whatever it takes to help you meet Jesus. Tomorrow morning, as soon as we hear where Jesus is, we will carry you across town, and he will heal you. And don't worry. If they're in a house, I have a plan. Almost everywhere that Jesus went, he drew a crowd. When Jesus healed people, when Jesus fed people, word traveled fast, and the crowd soon gathered. And so this is the scene in Luke chapter 5. We read in verse 17 that one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there as well. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. You know, we often notice when Jesus heals the sick. We, we often notice when, when he does miracles. And, and that's exciting. But, but sometimes, sometimes we overlook how often Jesus taught. You see, Jesus was teaching everywhere he went. Jesus taught people how to know God. Jesus taught people how to obey God. And, and Jesus taught people that God wanted them to be a part of his kingdom. And so crowds of people came to hear Jesus teach. And in those crowds, there were always at least two groups of people. There were those who, who you could say were, were open-minded supporters, who were eager to hear Jesus' words and believe them. But then there were also closed-minded opponents, people who came to attack and critique and, and distort his words. Well, in Luke chapter 5, we read that both groups were present and that they were in a house, and it was packed. And so right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, this happened. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope for Jesus. Please, do for him what you did for the leper. That's a rope! Put it back, man! By whose authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can't. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. 
Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you. And so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. I love that scene. Man, I love that scene. When the paralyzed man is healed, you see the hope in his eyes. If I'm honest, I'm going to tell you, I got a little teary the first time I saw that scene. I imagine the faces of that man's family as he walks home and walks to the door of his house. Can you imagine their faces? They've never seen their son walk. And here he is walking through the door. But it never would have happened if the friends had not had the faith to take him to see Jesus. You know, there there are two surprises in verse 20 that I want us to see. The first surprise is this. Notice, Notice what he says in verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Their faith, the the faith of the friends. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You know, there are times when when people meet Jesus and Jesus heals them and says, your faith has healed you. I think about the story of the, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And she believed, if I can just reach out and touch the edge of Jesus' cloak, that I will be healed. And so she does it. In the midst of a busy crowd, 
She reaches out. She touches the edge of his cloak. He turns around and he says, woman, your faith has healed you. But in this case, he's not talking to the paralyzed man. He's talking to the friends. He says, I see your friend's faith. They believed that I could heal you. Did you know that your faith can help someone else? That your faith can strengthen someone else's connection to God? Your faith can be the bridge for someone else to meet Jesus. Now I have to ask you a question. Put yourself in the story. Imagine that you are one of Caleb's friends. Would you have been willing to do all that? I mean, would you have been willing to grab one of the, one of the corners of his mat and carry him across town? You know, you know, do those, you know, like those little stutter steps? When you're carrying something heavy, especially with three other people, it's not like you're in stride, you know, and you're making good time. You're doing that kind of, what is that, like a penguin waddle or something, you know? Somebody has to walk backwards. It's, it's clumsy. It's awkward. Would you be willing to do that? Or wh- when you got to the house and you saw that, man, it is filled to the brim, would you have been willing to lug him up the stairs to the roof? And then when you get up to the roof and you see that the hole is only this big, are you willing to break the roof open? I mean, somebody's going to have to pay for that. State Farm is not covering that claim. (laughs) Would you have been willing to do all of that to help your friend meet Jesus? His friends were. You know, the, the phrase that comes to my mind as I watch this scene, as I read this passage, is the phrase, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That was their mindset. They overcame so many barriers. They didn't give up. They did whatever it took. And you know, the faith of the friends made such an impression on Jesus that he stopped right in the middle of his teaching. Is anybody hungry? Anybody hungry? Anybody need a little snack before, before supper? Anybody? Dominic, you're always hungry. Okay, fine. Here you go. It's on me. Only one per sermon, Rick. Sorry, bud. And you know where we keep them, too. Anyway, Jesus stopped right in the middle of his teaching in order to meet a very real need. That amazes me. But what also amazes me is that the friends did all of this for one person. They did whatever it took to help one person meet Jesus. What keeps us from doing that? What stops us from doing whatever it takes to help someone meet Jesus? Well, I can think of at least three reasons. The first reason is that for those of us who are already here in the building today, or those of us who are worshiping online, is that we are already in the house. Now, if you're guests with us tonight, or, or maybe you're here kind of checking out faith in, in Jesus for the first time, we're so glad to have you. But I want to talk to those of us, all of us, who are, you could say, regular attenders, people who come often, because we are already in the house. We are already here. You could say that we are insiders. And we can take a lesson from the Pharisees. You know the guys with kind of the goofy-looking hood things on? These guys, the Pharisees, were the ultimate insiders. When it came to faith in God, their perspective was that this is our house, and we belong here. 
and they didn't want to let anyone else in. You know, the Pharisees committed the deadly sin that, that many insiders tend to make. They worked to be known, to be the most devoted members of the group. They wore the right clothes. They did the right rituals. They took the right classes. They went to the right meetings. They knew all the other insiders. They were obsessed with being right in the middle of what they thought all belonged to them. But there were also other people still in that house that day as well. Let's, let's think again about that scene. Why did the friends have to carry Caleb up to the roof? They had to carry him up to the roof because they couldn't get into the house. But didn't the house have doors? Weren't there, weren't there windows? Weren't there normal ways that someone could just walk right into the house? The reason they had to go up on the roof is because there was no one standing by a door or a window who was willing to let them in. No one said, hey, hey, come this way. No one said, hey, hey, back up. Let's, let's make space. Let's make sure this guy can get in and see Jesus. Everyone just stood their ground and held their spot in the house. This breaks my heart. And it should break your heart as well. How many people are out there on our streets, in our schools, in the places that we work, in our neighborhoods, who need to meet Jesus, but we aren't willing to make a way for them to come in? How many times are we like the people who were crowded in that house together, holding our spots so that they could see Jesus, but in doing so, keeping others away? You know, they apparently believe that Bible verse that says, first come, first serve. That's nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. I saw some people trying to check. You and I cannot make the same mistake. We must be aware of the dangers of already being in the house. We're already here. We are already in church. You could say that we are already with Jesus. So instead of first come, first serve, Jesus models this in the Bible. First come, first to serve. And this is the posture that we should take. If we are followers of Jesus, then we realize that this house doesn't belong to us. God is the owner of the house. We keep our eyes open for others. We, we give up our spot. We, we make room. We hold lightly to the things that, that we are tempted to think are ours. We hold lightly to the schedules that we like and, and the seats that we like and the, the programs that we like and the music that we like, the spaces and the rooms that we like. We are in this house first, not to stake a claim, but to get the house ready for others. Not to kick back and take care of ourselves, but to serve others. We need to step out of the way and say, you know what? Let me move out of the way so that you can meet Jesus. Because friends, we are already here. You know, the second reason that I think we, we don't do whatever it takes is because we give up too easily. I mean, it's so easy to see a difficult path ahead and, and just give up or to think, oh, I just, I just don't think this is going to work out. Or, or it's easy for us to just be apathetic and not even try. I mean, instead of carrying Caleb to that house, it would have been way easier to just stay home and watch Netflix. Way easier. But yet, 
those friends, they were willing to do that. You know, Mark's account of this event says that there were four friends, four friends who carried the paralyzed man to see Jesus. What if one or, or even two of those friends had not gone along with the plan? What if they had said, it's just going to be too difficult. I just, I, I don't want to do that. It's going to be too hard. But instead, each friend, each of the four, risked embarrassment and exhaustion. There were so many opportunities to give up, but they didn't. Each and every one of them did it. They, they, they believed that this is worth it, that Jesus will heal our friend. Which brings us to the third reason that we don't do whatever it takes. We forget about Jesus. Now, that might sound kind of weird. You're thinking, like, aren't we in church? How do we, how do we forget about Jesus? Well, this is what I mean. I mean this, that sometimes we forget that Jesus is involved. We forget just how powerful Jesus is. We forget how much Jesus can change someone. You know, although we've been talking a lot about the, the four friends, we've been talking about the paralyzed man, Jesus is the hero of the story. Because if there's no Jesus, he's not in town, he's not in the house, and the guy doesn't get healed. Jesus is the hero. And so like the friends, if we can just find a way to help someone meet Jesus, he can heal them. Jesus changes lives. Whenever someone comes to Jesus, whenever they meet Jesus, they encounter him with a willing heart, their life is changed. You know, I have two friends that I can think of whose lives were completely changed, completely transformed by Jesus. One of them is a pastor in Kenya. His name is Stephen. And Stephen is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Stephen prays for my family and I every day. When we go back to Kenya, we visit him, and his, his house is like barely bigger than the platform that the piano is on. He welcomes us in. Yeah, you guys, the steward said, you guys have been there. You drank the chai. We've been there. And he, he shows me this photo that he has in his Bible. He prays for us every day. But Stephen hasn't always been a faithful follower of Jesus. You see, when he was much younger, he was addicted to alcohol. He was an alcoholic, and he was an angry rageful alcoholic. His life had gotten so bad that his wife had left him, his kids hated him, and he was left with nothing but anger. And so one night, he was walking along the sidewalk, drunk. His hands were, were bloody from getting in a fight. And as he walked past the open door of a small church building, the pastor who was inside said, hey, you drunk guy, your life is a wreck. Come in and meet Jesus. He will change you. And so Stephen stumbled to the front of that little church building, and he knelt down, and he met Jesus. And in that moment, his life was transformed. His addiction to alcohol was gone. His anger was gone. And his life has been different ever since that moment. I think about another friend a friend who had a serious sexual addiction. That addiction was, was destroying his life. And a friend of his reached out to him and said, dude, you need to meet Jesus. And so he introduced him to Jesus. And I need to tell you, his life wasn't transformed in an instant. Instead, Jesus walked alongside with him, 
through a difficult season of learning to be obedient in the midst of of temptation. And and if he was here tonight, he would tell you, I'm actually glad that my life wasn't changed in, in just a second because I learned what it is to rely on God. Well, his life has been completely transformed. He's married today, and he has six kids. Isn't marriage great? Yes. God changes our lives. When we make a way for someone else to meet Jesus, we're inviting them to be transformed. We're not inviting them to, to come to the library to hear a presentation on budgeting. We're not, we're not saying, hey, I found this new uh, recipe for lasagna. You should try it. It's great. My kids like it. We're not, we're not saying, hey, I found this new workout routine. I lost three pounds. We are, we are inviting people to meet Jesus. We can't forget about Jesus. Jesus transforms people's lives. Not just now, but for eternity. Which brings us to the second surprise. Jesus forgave the man before he healed the man. In verse 24, Jesus explains his, his actions. He says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus knows what people need most. I think sometimes we get confused about what people need most. Jesus never gets confused. He knows what people need most to be reconciled to God, to have the barriers and the distance between people and God taken away so that someone can be reconciled, so they can be brought back near to him. When people meet Jesus, he helped them to meet God, which changed their eternal reality. You see, Caleb, the man who was paralyzed, at some point again in his life was paralyzed again. He was paralyzed by death. And yet because of his encounter with Jesus, his eternity changed. Because his sins were forgiven, he is able to spend eternity with Jesus. And so when people met Jesus, he helped them to meet God, which changed their eternal reality. And it's the same with us. You know, I'm, I'm a part of a weekly Bible study down in the neighborhood uh, called Community Table. And I love Community Table. I love it. Uh, people come around, we sit around our big dining room table, and we just, we just talk about the Bible. We just chop it up together, and we talk, and we study, and we pray, and I love it. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Acts chapter 1. And so we're talking about how Jesus had lived the perfect life, he had died the perfect death, and now uh, Jesus is come back to life, and he's now sending his disciples out to be his witnesses. And so we're looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I was like, this is great. And then somebody at the table goes, time out. These guys, they saw Jesus on earth. They saw that he was alive, and then they saw him get crucified, and then they saw him come back from life, from, from death. I've never seen Jesus, so what, what am I a witness of? And I was like, that's a good question. And so then we talked around the table about how while we are not witnesses of the bodily risen Christ, we are witnesses of the transformation that Christ has had in our lives. And it was so powerful. One by one, we went around the table, and each person shared about how their life had been changed by Jesus. 
how if they held up a, a, a photo of their life before they met Jesus, a picture of what their life looked like, and then they held up a picture of their life after meeting Jesus, that those two pictures were so drastically different. Jesus changes people's lives, both now and forever. You know, in verse 26, we read that everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. Jesus writes amazing new stories for us. You know, many of you have been a part of these amazing stories. You've, you've helped people meet Jesus. And these are, are definitely a reason to celebrate, a reason to praise God that, that we know people. We have people in our family and, and friends that we have invited and we have brought them into the house and we've seen their lives change. But friends, there are still so many new stories to be written. There are thousands of people in our community who are living and dying without ever meeting Jesus. And so there's still work to be done. Many of you are, have been a part of these amazing stories, but the truth is that all of us are the result of these stories. You see, the reality is, is that none of us are direct descendants of the 12 apostles. And if, if by chance you are, if you're like, yeah, I can trace my ancestry all the way back to Peter, please come and find me after the service, because that's amazing, okay? But my guess is, pretty, pretty well-educated guess, that none of us are direct descendants of any of the 12 apostles, which means this. At some point, all of us were on the outside. At some point, all of us, or, or someone in our family was, was on the other side of the fence, or, or the other side of the tracks, or, or the wrong side of town. All of us were, were the person that looked different, or spoke different. All of us were outsiders. All of us were people outside the house. And then someone made a way for us to come in. A neighbor, a friend, a missionary, a pastor. Someone said, I am going to do whatever it takes to help you meet Jesus. They made a space for us. They welcomed us in. If necessary, they carried us in. They didn't give up. They made a sacrifice because they believed that Jesus could do something amazing in our lives. And so now, now it's our turn. And so I want to go back to the scene around the fire. You see, most actions begin with a plan. And so, friends, it's time for us to make a plan. It's time for us to begin thinking about who we know who we need to bring inside the house. Who do we need to make space for? Who do we need to welcome in? And so you're on your way into the room, you should have received one of these cards that has a drawing of a house on it. I'm going to give you a moment here, and I want you to think and pray, who do you need to bring into the house? Take a moment and, and write their name inside this, the drawing of the house, and commit to, to praying for them and thinking about how you can invite them in, how you can help them come and meet Jesus for themselves. But we also need to think about the house. We need to think about our gathering. How can we make space? How can we be the first to come and the first to serve? Let's make sure that front door is wide open so that everyone can come in. Let's make sure that we make plenty of space for people, that we, that we get out of the way 
so that they can come and meet Jesus. Let's make a plan. Let's be courageous. Let's do whatever it takes. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you have invited us into your house, that you allow us to be a part of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we know that we're not it. God, we are not the last ones in. That there are still so many people out there who you want us to invite in, to carry in if necessary. And so Lord, give us courage. Give us boldness to have conversations that maybe, Lord, we've never had before. To reach out and encourage people. Lord, you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses. Lord, help us to be that witness to the people around us. We pray in Jesus' name.